Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 in the Black Pew Bible. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against them who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. It heads, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. We're in Micah chapter 3. If you could turn in your Bibles there, I think it's going to be helpful for you, especially today. The prophets can be a little challenging as we study. I'm, I'm excited about our hermeneutics um, class on Wednesday night, just giving you basic hermeneutical principles, and we're going to look at each genre of the scripture, learn some principles about each genre, and then we're going to take examples, and we're going to together study uh, each genre of the scripture. So one of those genres is the prophets, and uh, it, it can be challenging at times um, for us to determine who's speaking and who's speaking to who, because sometimes the speeches, the sermons, they kind of run together. And also, whether this prophecy is, has it been fulfilled or not, partially, fully, not at all, um, yet to come, some of those things are, are difficult to know. So turning your Bibles to, to Micah, it can be outlined by the three speeches given. Chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 through 5 are together, and then 6 and 7, all beginning the, the word here. So the big idea is who's like God in, in judgment and in mercy? Who is like God? Micah is a prophet of the Lord during the time of the, the exile of the northern kingdom. He, exiled, he, he, he was speaking and prophesying about that exile. Then it occurred, and then he continued to prophesy to the southern kingdom, Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem. 
We said last week, sometimes we'll use those terms synonymously, Southern Kingdom, Judah, and Jerusalem. Micah was prophet during kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It was a time of, of a lot of instability, a lot of upheaval, socially, politically, economically. And in chapter 1 and 2, we saw judgment pronounced. 722, the Assyrians exiled the northern kingdom. That was fulfilled. Remember, we, t we said Micah was kind of interesting because he, he prophesied both to the northern and southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom has been exiled, and we're left with the southern kingdom. And so we see in chapter 3 that judgment is coming because of the corrupt leaders of the southern kingdom. Point number one. Jake read for us chapter 3. It's been said when... When God wants to judge a nation, he gives them a wicked leader. And we see that in Scripture, don't we? As a leader goes, so goes the nation. And here, the rulers, the prophets, the priests, they've all become corrupt. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, they were mentioned briefly, but here they're identified. As leaders of the nation, they're to know justice, and they're to be careful to uphold it, much like our leaders are in our day. But they hated what they were supposed to love, and they loved what they were supposed to have hated. Verse 2, you who hate the good and love the evil. And these leaders, these rulers, these government officials, these princes, they were profiting from injustice. And so verses 2 and 3, very graphically, they're described as cannibals. They're eating their own people alive. These leaders were speaking to the people, if you want justice, it's going to cost you. They're ripping their own people off. You can imagine them hearing the cries of the weak and the poor who are being mistreated, being abused, being ignored, and them, themselves, ignoring it. And so, in verse 4, it's a classic case of poetic justice when these same leaders are going to cry out to God, but in verse 4, he will not answer. So God is judging them by his silence. Think about it. Remember the day and time. The Assyrians are the world's superpower, and they're the, they're the bully, the big bully on the block, and they're picking on everybody. No one's exempt even Judah. The northern kingdom has been exiled and the southern kingdom, you remember from last week, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he laid siege to Jerusalem. I encourage you to read that, con that, that the background in 2 Kings for that text. I think it'll be helpful. But do you remember they, they laid siege on the city? And Sennacherib was kind of making fun of Hezekiah Chris actually made mention of that in our small group this morning. And he says, is there a God who's protected his people from Sennacherib? These are troubling times. 
there's a lot of instability in the world. And these leaders, these princes, they're going to want to cry out to the Lord. They're going to need the Lord. These are trying days. But God, in judgment, is going to be silent. They will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. In verse 5 through 8, we see prophets who tell people what they want to hear for a price. As long as they're being treated well, it's all good. Peace, peace. But when they aren't profiting financially, they may speak evil against the people. The prophets were God's spokespersons. They presented themselves as one who had God's ear. You want me on your side. If you don't pay me a little something, then I'm going to sit God on you, or at least I want to intercede for you. You could see how they might hold their own people captive that way. I grew up in a visiting my grandmother who at that point in time was a, she worked, she was a seamstress and she would work from home. She would sew clothing and hem uh, dresses. She's hemmed many of your pair of pants and dresses and things like that. But I remember growing up and uh, watching a little television in her house and there was three things on. There was um, The Price is Right. You remember that? Bob Barker and The Price is Right. Or some uh, show, some uh, soap opera. I don't know the name of it. My grandmother wasn't into those things. But then it was always this... Uh, religious program on and it wasn't a preacher preaching like you see today it was more like a talk show but it always had these always had a number at the bottom of the screen always had the number that you could call and it was always this promotion of of you could do this and God's going to bless you and God's going to bless you and God's going to do this if you give a little money God's going to do this for you and it was unspoken but understood that if you don't give the money you're going to miss out on what God has for you it's kind of like that was going on even back then in Micah's day. And it's interesting, when I was overseas, it was interesting how I would run into these Buddhist monks. And the Buddhism where we lived, very syncretistic. Um, there's different types of Buddhism. But these Buddhist monks, they lived a very ascetic lifestyle. They're very poor. They live in a monastery. But what they would do is they would go to the parks where people gathered and they would sell things, little bracelets, charms, and whatnot. And I, I remember talking to the monks that strike up conversation, and they would say, yeah, if you want to buy one of these, then the gods will give you peace. I said, so let me get this straight. I'm going to give you money, and you're going to give me that, and your God that you worship is going to give me peace. Like, yeah. Well, if your God's worth worshiping, they're going to give me peace whether I give you money or not. That wasn't part of the deal. Same kind of system going on here in Micah's day. Patting their pockets, getting kickbacks, a lot of injustice going on. And the result of the prophets being false is judgment. Look at verse 7. The seers will be disgraced, the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. When they go to seek God, these prophets, and it's coming. They're going to. It's coming a day when they're going to need the Lord. They're going to draw near the Lord and try to hear from God. God's not going to speak. 
That's the judgment. See, God, he sees through insincere prophets. Just like he sees through foxhole conversions and jailhouse religion. He sees through it all, doesn't he? Insincere prophets, he sees right through them. And look at verse 8. What Micah does is he compares himself to these prophets. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob what? His transgression and to Israel his sin. See, the prophets of their day, they might, they might pronounce someone a sinner, but it's certainly not going to be someone wealthy, someone not going to be, uh, it's not going to be someone of power in a position of authority. They would never do that for fear that it might affect their finances. And we know that Micah preached judgment. He pointed out sin. He pointed out Israel's sin, and they were exiled. They didn't listen. He points out Judah's sin. And you know what happened? We said last week, you remember? It had an effect on Hezekiah. He listened, and as a result, for 100 years, the Assyrians were kept at bay, and Jerusalem was able to live in peace for a time. Look at verse 9 through 12. Again, the leaders of the nations, the prophets, the priests, the princes, they're all indicted. You detest justice. Even with, if justice was being served, look, they would look for a way to make it crooked. Verse 11 is a, a summary here of this section. It's a summary of the whole mess. The elites in Micah's community have the, the prophets, the priests in their pockets, bought and paid for. Everyone's making money, but truth isn't being taught. Their message was always easy on the ear, full of comforts. They said what only the leaders and powers that be wanted to hear. Again, quite the contrast from Micah, who spoke the truth. He's no respecter of persons in regard to pointing them to the law. Think about it. In each time period, there's a need for a preacher, isn't it? But there's all kind of pressures in every day to modify the message and put it in therapeutic terms, especially today, to, to push the preaching to the periphery, replace it with pep talks. We get that a lot from a lot of pulpits where we always leave church with a little spring in our step, thinking all is right in the world. But sometimes it's not right in the world, is it? Sometimes things aren't right in my life, and sometimes things aren't right in your life, and we need to hear about it. Again, look at verse 12. What's the judgment? The Lord's going to abandon them. Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. The temple, which is the symbol of God's presence, is going to be destroyed. It will no longer be a house, God's house. Jerusalem's going to be leveled. The presence of God is going to be gone, and the leaders of the nation is to be blamed. So 
So the power structure of Judah has become corrupt, and God judges them by abandoning them. He's not going to speak to the prophets. They'll seek his help, but he's going to refuse them. We'll come back to verse 12 in just a moment. But the second point in chapter 4, there's going to be a golden age after suffering in Babylon. Verse 12 of chapter 3 and and, and chapter 4, verse 1, they're connected there. Look what it says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills. We're just told that the Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. It's going to become a wasteland. But here in chapter 4, we're told that there's going to be restoration. And that's going to occur in latter days, in days to come. But what I want us to do, hold your place there. What I want to do is jump down to verse 9. You have the latter days, what's going to happen down the road. But let's look about here and now. Look at verse 9 through 13. It addresses the here and now of Micah's day. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain sees you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not know or understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth." We know from history that the Assyrians were deterred from overtaking Jerusalem. Like I said earlier, about a hundred years, they were at peace. But later Babylon will come. They'll take over as the world superpower and they'll exile the southern kingdom to Babylon. There's going to be three deportations. The last one taking place in 586. And... It's then when the, simple, the, the city and the temple are going to be destroyed. And it's, it's predicted very plainly. This is a good hundred years or so coming, but he says it in the now, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. Now what's, what's about to happen? They'll be exiled to Babylon. I was thinking about this as I was reading this Commentary, James Montgomery Boyce, who I love to read. Speaking of Micah chapter 4, he tells a story of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a, a pastor and a theologian. In the early days of his ministry, Mr. Barnhouse met a man who lived right near his church, and he would talk with him frequently, and he would share the gospel with him uh, from time to time. And the man would always laugh him off and say, well, you know, I'm not the kind of guy who needs church. And he would always tell him, you know, I'm a part of the, this lodge and we have a, a very high moral standard. And if we could just live up to those moral standards taught in by this lodge, then, then I should be okay. Well, the day came when the man became very ill, and he was not expected to live out the day. And so Pastor Barnhouse went to see him. And there sitting in the room was a member of his, his, his club, his lodge. It was a 
a tradition of our teaching of that lodge that no one should die alone. And so there was a man from their group, that lodge, that was there with him so he wouldn't die alone. So Mr. Barnhouse came in and sat down by his side. He says, do you mind me staying here a few minutes and, and watching you? And the man said, no, of course not. And then Mr. Barnhouse, Pastor Barnhouse said, you know, I've always wondered what it would be like to die without Christ. I've known you for several years and you've always said you didn't need Christ, but that your affiliation with this lodge, this men's group, were enough for you. So I'm here today to see a man come to the end of his life dying apart from Christ. I would like to see what that looks like. The sick man looked at Pastor Barnhouse and, and said, weakly, you wouldn't mock a dying man, would you? Pastor Barnhouse then asked the man what he would say if he stood before the Lord and asked why he should enter get to enter heaven. This dying man began to weep. Tears began to fall down his wrinkled, pale cheeks. Quickly, Pastor Barnhouse told him about how each and every one of us are born sinners and we live our lives in rebellion against the Lord, doing it our way. And because of that, because God is just, he has to judge sinners, and he will judge sinners. Man is destined, one, to die, and then to face the judgment, and we'll all face judgment. And that's bad news for all of us, because we're all going to receive the wrath of God, and rightly so. That's exactly what we deserve. But Pastor Barnhouse told the man, you know, but God is also merciful, and he sent his one and only son, who took on flesh some 2,000 years ago, he walked this earth in perfect obedience to the Father, and he lived the life that we need to live, and then he died the de death that we should all die. He was buried after he was crucified, and he rose from the dead on the third day so we could be made right with God. The man replied that his mother had taught him those exact things as a child, but he had abandoned them when he was older. And then in those next few moments, he, right at the end of his life, he came back to those truths he had been taught and he placed his faith and trust in Christ, crying out to the Lord in repentance and faith, thanking Jesus for dying for him. Soon he asked the members of his family to be brought in to hear his testimony. And after they heard that, he, he asked Pastor Barnhouse to share his story at his funeral, which took place a few days later. Pastor Barnhouse had some wisdom about him, didn't he? He knew how to use that, that shock tactic, if you will. And Micah uses the same shock tactic, doesn't he? He's not mocking the people for their unbelief. He's not doing that just to be mean but he speaks in love. Even as he foretells of Jerusalem's fall and the Babylonian captivity to come, he cannot help but speak of deliverance also to come. You'll go to Babylon, he says, in verse 10. But there you'll be rescued. 
There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Let me ask you a question. Take your time out there just by way of application. We're Christians, those of us who are born again, those of us who've been redeemed, who've been given life, who've been given eternal life. We have a, a ministry, Paul tells us, it's called the ministry of reconciliation. And it's not just for the preachers types like me. Yeah, it's for me. I have that obligation as a Christian. I have that obligation as a pastor. That's what I do for a living. People say, what do you do for a living? Well, I study the Bible, I, I preach the Bible, and I share the, the gospel. Part of what I do. But if I resigned tomorrow and went to work with Chris, you going to give me a job? Shipping freight. If I go to work with Chris, shipping freight, I still have an obligation tomorrow. I still have the ministry of reconciliation. And we do as Christians. I just want to ask you, kind of taking a break from the sermon for a second. <clears throat> in, in Micah, we see this. We see this prophet speaking truth, telling bad news to a, a group of people that he loved. He also told them the good news, but he had to tell them the bad news first. When's the last time you told somebody bad news? You know, in order for somebody to hear about Christ and His crucifixion and resurrection and the glory to come, we have to tell them the bad news, don't we? That's what Mike is doing here. It's a both and, it's not an either or. He's telling the bad news, but he's also telling the good news. Yeah, I just wonder about us. How often are we looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities to share bad news with people that need to hear it? Can't tell them about the, the glories of heaven until you tell them about the judgment to come. Kind of put that in your mind there. We, we need to be asking, looking for opportunities to, to share that with people that need to hear it. Now turn with me back to chapter 3. Look at verse 12 real quickly. There at the end of chapter 3, remember we got to chapter 4 and there seemed like there was good news there. We jumped to the bad news. I'm going to hit that first. We're going to go back up to the good news. Verse 12, therefore because of Zion, because of you, the leaders, right, Hunter, remember? The leaders, because of their infidelity towards God, because their unfaithfulness, right? Because their wickedness. Zion shall be plowed as a field, verse 12 tells us of chapter 3. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the, of the house a wooded height. Now judgment is coming. What he's saying, Jerusalem's going to be leveled. The temple's going to be leveled. There's nothing going to be left. And what's going to happen? What happens when you leave a, a field open, like this field over here? If you, don't, if you, never, if you never cut it, what happens? Like what happens in 20 years, 10 years, 20 years? What happens to open field? It, get, it becomes forest. That's what he says. The mountain of the house, a wooded height. That's what happens. You got pictures for us? Yeah, what happens to a... Yeah, you, you see trees coming up through abandoned houses. Yeah, if it's not kept, that's what happens. Nature left to its own, what is it? It does its thing. It becomes a forest. You got another one for us? 
Yeah. Whole junkyard. You got trees coming up through the grill. I was thinking about this, Chris. You you you'll uh, remember this. You'll going towards Dyersburg on the right. When you get out of Ripley, there's a junkyard there. And what's happening? Trees are growing up in between those all between those cars. What happened? That's what happens. Forests happen. Woods happen. Right. Jerusalem left to, by itself has become a a thicket, a wooded area. Think about that for a second. They're being told that your high place, your high place is going to be left desolate. That means no worship, no sacrifice. That's what's to come. No more draw near to God. The mountain of God becomes a mountain of trees, undergrowth. Look at chapter 4. We've already read verse 1. Look at verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his ways. So there's terrible things. Judgment's coming, but then there's this, there's this promise of restoration. Isn't that good? You got the bad news and the good news, right? My wife and I, we, we moved back here. We had to, we're kind of redecorating our house, you know, going to paint the walls and stuff. And I like bright colors, you know. So how about just do, let's do bright colors. Yellows and reds and oranges and those kind of things. And she's like, ah, it's just too bright. I said, babe, sunny day. Who doesn't like a sunny day? Salvation, who don't like that? She said, well, I like the grays. I said, yeah, rainy day, cloudy day, judgment. Nobody likes that. We got gray walls, baby, all through our house. Baby. Storm clouds are brewing and judgment in our house, baby. Restoration's coming. Let's, let's pick up there in verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That forever and ever is pretty important. Look at verse 6. And that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble of the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those who have been afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The form of dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So we see this judgment being pronounced, but yeah, you see promise of restoration. And what do we see here? There's a contrast with this ruined city with saplings taking over. But now we see God raising up Jerusalem again to once again be the center of God worship, 
And not just the Jews. Look at verse 2. And many nations shall come. It's not just for the Jews only, right? No, this is for all the nations. They'll not only hear and know God's will, but they'll walk in it. It's interesting, this, this passage here, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, it's repeated identically in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 and 4. Remember, they're Isaiah and Micah, they're contemporaries. They ministered at the same time. Like, well, who was, who was the originator of this text? We don't, we don't know. They borrowed it from one another. One did from the other. But look at verse 2. People, they won't be ignorant. They'll know God's law. They'll know His will. Verse 3, they won't fear anymore. The swords will be made into plowshares and spears into pruners. Young people, you know what a plowshare is? What's a plowshare? We have some pictures of it, I think. Got pictures? No pictures of plowshares. Oh, man. No pictures of plowshares. Plowshares, the, the plow, a plow's being, being pulled by then. It would be oxen. There was pieces of metal, and that's what would dig in the ground, right? And what they would do is they said the, the swords, right, for battle, they're going to be melted down. We don't need those for war anymore. We don't need them for battle because we're secure. Now we can use them for plowshares. And the spears, they'll be turned into pruning hooks. I wish I had a picture of a pruning hook, but there's a, a modern-day pruning hook. You've seen those poles that's got the, we call them a pole saw. That's a, prune, that's a modern-day pruning hook. We don't need those anymore. We don't need spears. We don't need swords. We're going to let the blacksmith fashion them into pruning hooks and plowshares. Why? What, what's he saying there? Because there's going to be peace. There's going to be no more attack. Verse 4, they'll have, their, they'll have plenty of food to eat. Is what you think? Well, we don't, we don't think about having enough food. One thing we always do when we give thanks, we always thank the Lord for our food, and we always tell the Lord we're thankful, and we recognize there are hungry people all over the world. Hey, you live in America. You think, well, there's American, there are Americans who are hungry too. I'm sure, sure there are, but there are people in the world who are hungry. And for them, they'll have their own vine and their own fig tree that they're going to have enough to eat. It's just blessing, right? Restoration. Again, think about Micah's day. They're constantly under threat. Never know when it's all going to come crashing down. Never know when it's all going to come to an end. You think, well, yeah, Judah was secure. No, Jerusalem was secure. You remember Sennacherib when, when he came through um, and, and besieged Jerusalem? Before he got there, 46 cities were destroyed by the Assyrians. 46 Judean cities were destroyed. Couldn't take Jerusalem. God protected it. 46 cities were destroyed, according to Assyrian history, their record books. But what do we see here? We see this promise of restoration. Well, how is this going to be accomplished? Well, it gets to chapter 5. Look at, look at chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now that could be um, referring to Hezekiah's humiliation by Sennacherib or Zedekiah's defeat at the hands of the Babylonians 100 years later. We're not real sure what that's referring to. If you're uh, interested, you can read 2 Kings like starting in chapter 18 onward give you kind of the context of all that's going on here. But Zedekiah, when he was finally the, on the third deportation, 
when the city was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, Zedekiah was captured and hauled off in bronze shackles. But before he was hauled off, he saw all his sons murdered before him, right before his eyes were put out. Then he was drug off to Babylon where he would die. So that may be what this is referring to. Yeah, there's going to be a time where the Gentiles are going to rule over you. They had 70 years, didn't they, in exile, where they were told to go to and fro. But there's going to come a day when there's restoration is going to occur. And how is that going to happen? Well, look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphratha. Why is that mentioned, that second Epaphratha? on the end of that because there was two there were actually two Bethlehems one is in Zebulun and one in in uh, Judea who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days you ever heard that text before see in the future a king's going to be born and of all places, Bethlehem. Elizabeth mentioned that. She brought that up in her. I told her she was stealing my thunder in small group. It's quoted in Matthew chapter 2. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. Flip over there. Hold your spot in Micah. We're coming back. Matthew chapter 2. Bear with us, you guys. Y'all are doing great. Trudging your way through this text. But Matthew chapter 2. This is quoted in Matthew chapter 2, this, the verse we just read, Micah 5, 2, is quoted here in Matthew 2 in the passage about the Magi, the, the wise men. Jesus had already been born in Bethlehem, but there were wise men who came from the east seeking the Messiah King. And when asked by the wise men where the one born king of the Jews was, folks took him to Herod. Herod's the king at that point, right? King of the Jews. Herod didn't know any prophecy. He didn't know much about the law. So what did he do? He sent for the chief priest and the scribes and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born and they answered him by quoting this text. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Flip back to Micah, chapter 5. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians come into our land and tread in our palaces, then we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. When he refers there to the Assyrians, I think he's talking about just enemies in general. Because of this Messiah king, when he rules, when enemies come, there's going to be seven or eight princes. We see this several times in the Old Testament. What he's saying, there's going to be adequate, we're going to have adequate protection. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob, verse 7, shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of a man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples 
like a lion among the beasts of forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Verse 9, I think, summarizing that, that section. Yeah, you're, not, you're not going to have a problem with, with enemies. No, you're going to be protected. When this new Messiah comes and, and reigns, begins to reign, you're going to be protected. It's interesting, back up to verse 2, in Matthew's account, we see these kings from the east coming, being to pay homage to the, the Messiah king who was born in Bethlehem. And it's, you see a picture of that nations coming to flock into him, right? And we see this picture throughout our text in chapter 3, 4, and 5, the nations coming, the nations coming. When restoration occurs, it not, it's not going to be just for the Jews, but for the nations as well. In verse 4, the Messiah is coming to shepherd his people. What does that bring to mind? It brings to mind John chapter 10, doesn't it? Jesus is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verses 5 through 9, the Messiah King, he's going to deliver his people from their enemies. Let me, let me explain something, what's happening here in the text here especially, it's, it's, it's hard to follow to some degree. You have verses 5 through 9 and verses 10 through 15. Jesus is, was born that Christmas morning. That's the first advent. He's the Messiah King who comes and establishes his kingdom. His kingdom reign began then, didn't it? And we see the results of that. The church being born shortly after his ascension. The Gentiles being ushered into the kingdom of God. But we know that his second advent is still to come. But as you study the prophets, one thing I want, you, I want to make real clear to you is that, well, is this the first coming or a second coming? And that's why it's interesting. We, we keep talking about his reign. This Messiah is going to reign or Jerusalem is going to be established and, and there's going to be this, this forever um, kingdom forever and ever. Even though when, when, when he talks about restoring Jerusalem, yeah, it's going to be forever and ever and ever. And we know, think about it. The exiles, the southern kingdom, they were exiled in 586, and they spent 70 years in Babylon. And God miraculously, providentially brought them back, didn't he? King Cyrus allowed them to not only to leave, but to fund the whole thing, to go back to Jerusalem, to build the city, to build the temple, rebuild the temple. Remember, Ezra was there and oversaw that, and Nehemiah was there to build the walls. And we see, okay, the, the beginning may be a fulfillment of that to some degree, but do you remember what happened when all the elders who, were, who had remembered the, the original temple when they saw the foundation being laid for this new temple back in Jerusalem after the exile what did they do do you remember did they yeah no what did they do they wept why did they weep because they remember the grandeur of the first temple <laughs> second temple wow it's wonderful and great but oh man it just lacks something so we know that these promises of this restoration coming, well, I could partial fulfillment, 
70 years later when Cyrus allowed the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. But we know this it can't be completely fulfilled. And so what the, the prophets what the prophets do is they, they predict things that are they're coming in a linear fashion. These are coming in the future, in the in the last days, in the days to come. But they're predicting these things that are happening, but sometimes they kind of run together. It's kind of like being in a car. You're driving down an interstate and you're driving a car. You can see, if you're in a small car especially, you can see the car in front of you, but you, you can't necessarily see what's in... You, all we can say, yeah, there's a car. This is, this is up in front of us, but there's maybe several cars lined up in front that you can't see. And that's the way the prophets are. They're predicting things in the future. But for us, of course, living in the year 2023, we know that Jesus, His first advent has come. And we're beneficiaries of all the promises that Micah's talking about. The Messiah King coming. We're beneficiaries of that, aren't we? We have our sin debt paid for. We have a relationship with the Father because of what Christ has done, because of the Messiah King and His work. We get to approach the throne room boldly because of what Christ has done. But yet we know that there's still something lacking, right? We know that there's still much more to come because there's still injustice, isn't there? And there's still sin and there's still a lot of wrong in the world. But we have the benefit of seeing that broken up and knowing uh, there's still more to come in Jesus' second coming. I think possibly in verse 3 of chapter 5, that's the maybe that after Jesus has ascended, therefore he gave them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Maybe that's the, that intermittent period between the two advents. But then what's going to happen when Jesus returns? Turn with me to Well, before we do that, just an example of, of the prophets putting those things together. Isaiah chapter 9, we read it in our Christmas reading not too long ago. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Isaiah does the same thing. He puts those two advents, kind of combines them together. He can't really distinguish between the two. They all kind of run together. That's what the prophets do. They're just looking, looking ahead, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I think what's that? He's putting both those advents together. Yeah, that's the first advent and the second advent. That thing's going to happen. And it's going to last forever and ever and ever. Look at Revelation chapter 21. So when we look at the prophets, we say, well, how is that? When has that been fulfilled? Has it been fulfilled? When will it be fulfilled? When has it been fulfilled? I think maybe partially with the return from the exile. But we know that what's to come is far greater. And it gives us great hope. Just as the readers, the original recipients of this of this word from Micah. Judgment is coming, but there's restoration too. They had hope. We too have hope. 
We still await some of these promises of the kingdom. We still long for the Messiah to return and consummate all things. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, hmm, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. It's kind of, as I'm reading, I was reading through this this week, it kind of made me think about the text we just read, all the promises that are to come. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now skip over to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the who walk? Nations walk, and the king of, kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the remnant that we're a part of, praise the Lord. What do we do with this text? Just by way of application, we Warren Wisby he says this about prophecy. Whenever a prophet foretold the future, it was to awaken the people to their responsibilities in the present. Bible prophecy isn't entertainment for the curious; it's encouragement for the serious. We read these prophecies and we see God promising blessings on a people that didn't deserve it. Messiah King is going to come and he's going to come to a people and will not only bless them, but he's going to lead them. And that group is going to be made up of the nations. And we're a recipients of that blessing, of that promise. But one day, when Jesus returns, there's going to be a, a lot of wrongs will be right. Purification will occur once and for all. And The remnant God has preserved will worship Him forever and forever and forever and forever. We see the time and time again uh, the nations are going to be brought and they're going to worship the Lord. Let's be a part of that. Not just through our giving and Lottie Moon Christmas offering and North American Mission Board offering and supporting these partnerships that we have, but let's do it ourselves. Let's be a part of that, of sharing not just 
sharing the bad news, but sharing the good news too. But let's make sure we're sharing that bad news with our people, with those in our sphere of influence. They need to hear that judgment's coming. They need to hear that God is just. They need to hear that man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. And they need to be given an opportunity to, to hear the good news as well. May the Lord help us be faithful this week to obey all that He would have us this week. Okay, Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge Your goodness and we're thankful for the prophets. And Lord, sometimes um, for me it's a little difficult keeping it all straight. And, but we are thankful that You've You've judged sinners throughout history. We see that with the exile of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in 586. And, but yet all along you, you call people to repent and to trust you. And Father, there may be some here who today just providentially you brought them here and they needed to hear your, this news about your judgment to come. Judgment just wasn't for Israel and Judah, but it's for sinners. And we're sinners. And if there's any person here who's yet to trust Christ's work on the cross as their own, I pray that you would open their eyes to see their wickedness, their the vileness of their sin. And I pray that you allow them to to hear that gospel that they've heard today ring loud in their ears and they would cry out to you in repentance and faith. Father, will you save lost people today? We ask that you would do that. Children, students, adults, is there any who's yet to trust Christ? And Father, we have a job to do as your church to be your mouthpiece to share the bad news with lost people like Micah did. We need to be faithful to that. Give us a burden for it. Father, there's some, some 17, 18-year-old kids here who are in their last months of school. They'll never see some of these kids ever again. I pray that you would burden their hearts for lost people, that they would be gospel-sharing instruments. For us who work with lost people, gave us opportunities to, to share Help us to be bold, but help us to be gracious. Father, we do lift up our ones that are home. We think about Miss Mary as she's got a was diagnosed with a lymphoma this week. We just ask for help for her, that she would trust you. She wants her faith increased. And so we're asking that you would give that to her, that she would trust you. And Father, you would give those physicians wisdom, and Father, that you would help her eradicate that cancer from her body that she could continue to serve you father for mr clyde as he undergoes surgery on tuesday we ask for help for him and that you would help miss fran to trust you that they would not be anxious father we're thankful that you allow us to boldly approach your throne because of what Christ has done. What a blessing we have in Jesus who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We're thankful for him, his life and his death. 
thank for the weekend. Benefit from his faithfulness. May we too be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.